You are listening to a Monash Christian Union Bible Talk. We encourage you to share this with friends and family, but ask that you do not edit it without the permission of the owners. This Bible Talk is designed to supplement belonging to a local church with its teaching and community, not to replace it. We pray this talk helps you love Jesus and become more like him. Philippians 2, 1-18 Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, Rather, in humility, value yourselves above others, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, do not consider equality with God something to be used to his, to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by being obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I do not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Good evening. It's great to be back here with you for semester two. My name is Stu and I'm uh, another one of the staff workers. We're everywhere, probably right next to you. We pop up in the most random of places. I'm another staff worker um, here working in partnership with um, the community and the club here to make Christ known. Um, And uh, yeah, it's my delight to start off our semester two by looking at this uh, great passage um, about humility. And so therefore, I want to ask that question. Uh, Why be humble? Why be humble? This passage is all about humility. Why be humble? And you might think, uh, straight off the bat, well, it's pretty obvious why be humble, because that's what Christians do, right? Christians do humility. It's part of our DNA. We're constantly told that we're to love one another as Christ loved us. But I want to say to you that the kind of humility described here in this passage is radical. And I want to ask why this humility, why be humble as defined by this passage. I'm not talking about that somewhat anemic version of Christian humility. You know, the one where you let people go in through it all before you. Or at morning tea at church, uh, you hold back a bit before rushing in to your favourite chocolate slice. 
or, uh, you know, after church or at CU or even in people next to you in lectures because you're a Christian, you're mindful of the fact that even though I don't want to talk to this person or I don't, I'm not drawn to this person, I'm not particularly interested in that person, I will say hello, I will be warm because I know better, right, than to be at all clicky or snobby. Or, you know, I, I don't swear. I, I don't curse much. Or, you know, I'll only drop the F-bomb when I hit my finger with a hammer or something like that. Rare occasions. Just the other day, actually, on the... On, uh, on the other... <laughs> this is a confessional booth, right? So this is, this is a cathartic experience for me. <laughs> I don't think I dropped the F-bomb. I don't even know what I said, but I was in the car with my daughter... And, uh, and she was talking on and on and on and on and on and, and, and I was joking around with how much she talked. And then I parked the car and I pretended that I was creeping out of the car while she was talking, just to make the point that she talks incessantly. And I crept out the door and I put my hand next to the car and I slammed the door shut on my finger and it was stuck. And I said something in French. I'm not sure what it was. It might have, it might have been the F-bomb. I don't know what it was. But I remember my daughter just saying, did you just say what I think you said? But, you know, I don't, I don't ordinarily swear. And, my friends, all of that's, that's not bad. It's good to be all of those things. But if that's your version or more or less the extent of your Christian humility, like being a generally nice person, an inoffensive person, a kindly person, you really have not understood Christian humility according to this passage. And I'm not talking about the kind of humility that has a, a really pragmatic edge to it. There's a, uh, a book that's very well known called Good to Great by Jim Collins, and it's a book where he talks about what makes the difference between really successful companies in the United States, that's the, the, his field of reference, and the ones who are exceptional. What takes a company from good to great, to truly amazing? And he says that in the 11 companies that he identified as great, not just good, but great, there were two traits that he observed and he detected in all of their CEOs. Here are the two traits. One is a steely determination. That's one trait. The second, humility. And he made the point that it wasn't actually, in fact, the charismatic leaders who were at the helm of the great, the truly great companies. It was the humble leaders, the CEOs, who are at the top of the pile. And I want to say to you, that's, that's fantastic, that's great, that's good to great, to be that kind of humble. And there's wisdom in knowing how to work with people and relate to people that makes you generally winsome. That's a better way to be than someone who just puts people offside because you're arrogant. But my friends, that's not the humility that it's talking about here in Philippians 2. No, this is of a different order. This is of a different level. This is Christian humility that Paul is encouraging us to pursue 
here in this passage. And look what it says. Look how it defines it. It says, verse 3 of chapter 2 and 4, Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Let these words sink in. It's incredible. Do nothing, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. It's so radical what he's saying here, isn't it? That we kind of easily skate over it and translate it in our head and into our hearts into be a generally nice person who doesn't swear. <laughs> but I hope you can see how anemic that understanding of what has just been read out there is. Do nothing out of selfish ambition if you're a Christian or vain conceit. Thinking of yourself as far more important than you really are. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. It doesn't just say, not only looking to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. It's saying, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Incredible. And that's why I think the question, why be humble, is so important and so alive. Because this, to me, does not seem at all practical, right? This just seems nuts to me. This doesn't seem like it works in the real world. In a world where it's dog-eat-dog, it's survival of the fittest, where it's very competitive... We have to work so hard to progress in life and to get ahead. This just seems completely dysfunctional and unworkable. And as if you really follow this advice, you'll end up at the bottom of the pile. So why be this humble? Not this humble, this version of humble. Why be this version of humility? And this is the humility that we're being called to as Christians. Imagine, if you will, to sort of illustrate the dysfunctionality. In some respects, imagine if you will, you're going on a book, uh, a bushwalk, not a book walk. I guess you could do that if you wanted, but a bushwalk's better. So just go on a bushwalk, and there are five of you. There's you and your four friends, and you're down in the southwest wilderness. I'm sort of an area I'm somewhat familiar with, and it's an overnight trek, and uh, you lose on your trek some critical gear. This happened to a friend of mine, actually. A friend went for. A, solo bushwalk mission down in the southwest wilderness, uh, wilderness an, overnight, um, an overnight trip, and he lost his tent somewhere in the shrubbery. And so he ends up at night time going to pitch his tent, but it's not there. So he's just got to sleep out in the middle of the southwest wilderness of Tasmania, which is really rugged and off the beaten track. I'll be petrified. But here you are. You're with uh, your four friends. You've lost your tent. You've also lost your food. And it's getting dark, and you realise you're in trouble. But thanks be to God, you see a hut in the distance. An old wooden hut in a clearing. 
and you think to yourself, fantastic, and with the energy you've got left, you're all very tired and you're cold and you're really, really hungry. You just want to lay down your head for the evening so you can walk back out, get out of here the next day. But with the energy you've got left, you run ahead to, to this hut. You're the first one there. Your four friends are coming along behind you. But you're the strongest at this point. And you, and you burst into this, this little hut, like a bushwalker's hut. And there's a, a fire going. And there's a, a pie, a meat pie, just there on the table with a little note. From the previous bushwalkers who'd been there, they said, you know, um, we've had our fill, help yourself. And you touch it, it's still warm. Fantastic. Here's this meat pie, just what you need. What a great provision from God. But there are four slices. It's cut into four. You look around, there are four beds. And there are five of you. Well, what do you do? Well, first in best dress, right? Get into it. Dig in. Have two slices. You're so ravenously hungry. And you call out to the others, oh, you know, this is fantastic. Come and grab your pie. But by the time they've, they've got there, you've already eaten half the pie, but too bad. I was here first. That's just the way the cookie crumbles. Is that the way you respond? Well, I think some people would respond in that way, right? Like I have got friends who are like that who are not necessarily malicious or mean or just you know, uh, uh, driven by selfish ambition, as according to this passage, but, you know, they're just thoughtless. They're just eager and, and they kind of, they kind of knock about and like, oh, you know, thirsty and best dressed. They have that kind of attitude, but they do it in a kind of lighthearted way. But nonetheless, they will eat half the pie and laugh that you got there after them. You know, there are some people like that, right? There are lots of people like that in the world. Well, what if you come in there and you're a considerate person? You're the first one in there. You're a considerate person. You're a thoughtful person. Well, there are four slices, there are five of us. We've got to divide this up evenly. So you go looking for a knife and you cut off a sliver from each of the four bits to make a fifth bit and they're all equally apportioned and, uh, you know, you get divided up. You're, you're a considerate person. What if you're a humble person? According to the definition of Philippians chapter 2, Verses 3 and 4. Value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. You're a humble person. You're more concerned about other people's well-being than your own, their welfare than your own. And now that really changes things. You know that there is, is Jen and she looks particularly weak and frail and as if she's about to fall in a heap. And then there's Ken, Ken and Jen, very creative I know. And he's a big guy and he takes a lot more feeding and energy than you do. And so you're a humble person. So it's not simply a matter of dividing this up evenly. Jen and Ken, they both need more than the rest of us for different reasons. And so you give them a slice each and then between the three left, you divide up those two pieces That would be, I imagine, how if you're living according to this humility rule, it might work out in that scenario. And you see, even if everyone is really kind and nice and you all get along and you, know, you scratch their back, they'll scratch yours, just as you're looking out for them, they look out for you in life, a long life's journey. Even in that scenario, 
where you've got a good group of friends and you're all acting humility with one another, there are times when you will lose, right? If you're humble, you will lose, you will miss out. You're hungry, you're tired, but they need it more. You will lose. Well, add into that the complexity of perhaps someone in your group of friends being selfish, running in, scoffing down two bits all to themselves, and then you've still got the same scenario of Ken and Jan who need more, and there's an even smaller amount left for you now, and you're kind of a little bit resentful because you're really losing out, right? But you're in humility considering others above yourself. You see... What I'm trying to point out here, right, is if you actually try to live this out in practice, like in a real life scenario, the problem with this is you lose. It will be costly to live this way. To value others above yourself, to look first to their needs over yours. And there will be times when you're taken for granted and you pour yourself out and it's not appreciated and it's not reciprocated. And so in a dog-eat-dog world, in a survival of the fittest world, this doesn't seem practical. You know, the saying, nice guys finish last. That's how this feels, right? Great, I get to be a nice guy, but I don't get anything. (laughs) So, understanding that, why? Why would anyone take this on? Why would anyone want to be humble? Well, what I want to say is, this is an absolute essential for Christians to take this on, to make this your mission in life. And there are three reasons I want to whiz through here from this passage. The first one is, this is our calling. We're called to it. The second thing is that this is to be our mindset. The the, the third thing is, this is our glory. So the first thing... So I want to go back to the first slide is, this is our calling. This is our calling as Christians. What are you called to? What's your driving passion in life? What's the theme of your life? What's the overarching aim of your life? If you were to ask me when I was, I don't know, maybe 21, 22, What am I called to be? What am I called to do? And I was a Christian by this stage. I would have said that I think what my life is going to be about is being a graphic designer. That was the one thing I realised I really wanted to do. I really loved doing. In high school, I was terrible at everything. The only thing that I was ever good at was design, was drawing, was painting, that kind of stuff. And I did a printing apprenticeship, which dovetails nicely with graphic design. And I used to do a little bit of on-the-side graphic design in this workshop that I worked in for friends. And one night I went out to a movie and I was doing a design for someone who was running a conference. And uh, even though the movie was good, all I could think about this was, was this design that I was doing for this friend. And I was really excited by it. And I got home that night and I realized for the first time in my life, I think this is my passion. This is something I always really enjoyed doing. That's my calling. That's why people talk about vocations. That means what is your calling in life, right? What is is the job, the career you want to take on? What will you pursue? What's your passion? 
Is it to be a lawyer or a teacher or a mother or a, or a musician or a singer? Or a... Well, here it's saying that our calling in life is humility. How can I say that? Well, look, it presents it as opposite to, look, like I read out before, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. So don't, don't do anything in your life driven by a desire or a passion that comes from within or this sense that unless you fulfill your destiny, the world is going to miss out or that you somehow shrivel up and die. That's vain and conceited. No, rather... Be driven by humility. Value others above yourself and so it goes on. And this is for all Christians everywhere all the time. That's why he says in verses uh, 1 there, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete. This is not this call to make humility your overarching mission and theme in your life isn't for the extreme, not bad Christians, <laughs> or the super Christians, or those weird Christians who go off to far-flung places to preach the gospel. They're so kind of odd anyway, honestly, they don't really fit in to normal careers, right? So they're better off in the mission field. <laughs> Just odd bods who can, you know, make sense for them to sell out for Jesus because why not? No, this is for anyone who is even vaguely Christian, it says here. Anyone who is vaguely Christian, do not be driven by selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, make humility what drives you. It's our calling. And secondly, here in this passage, it says, this is to be our mindset. It's our calling and it's also our mindset. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Who, being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. There's a way of thinking about the Christian life that goes like this. Jesus suffered over there so that I don't have to suffer over here. Jesus paid the price over there so that I am free over here. And there is something that is right at one level that is completely correct. When we're talking about our standing before God, you know, when, we, we, when we're talking about um, the, the death we deserve because of our sin, that's precisely right. Jesus took the cost upon himself so that there would be no cost for us to bear. Jesus took the judgment so there would be no judgment for us to bear. And perhaps in our allergic reaction to anything even vaguely approaching works righteousness, 
we throw the baby out with the bathwater and think that any talk of leaning into, embracing, making suffering or pouring out our ambition is somehow a little bit wrong, but that couldn't be further from the truth because whilst when it comes to justification, it's all on Jesus, nothing on us, when it comes to being a model for how to love in the world, Jesus invites us right in. From the most baby Christian to the most mature Christian, Jesus says, love like I loved. And that necessarily means pouring yourself out in a self-sacrificing way. You see, when Jesus came into this world and made himself nothing and poured himself out, it was to, it was to stand against the flow, to, to walk against the tide, right? That's what he came to do. He came to offer an alternative way of living in a dog-eat-dog survival of the fittest world. A way that if this is the only world is, is completely dysfunctional and actually ends up in him being smashed on a cross. It doesn't work really at one level the way he lives in this world, right? He loves to the point where he is killed on a cross. But what Jesus is doing is not just dying for the sinner. He's showing us an alternative kingdom. He's showing us that there is such thing as a universe out there, a world out there where it really is built around love, where it really is built on the foundation of love. And Jesus, the way that he relates to us in this world is the inbreaking of a whole new way of being. And as his disciples, his followers, as people who follow him, he says, take this mindset on yourself. How do I view the world? How do I view others? What is my heartbeat? What is my passion? Others. To live a life of love that will bring life and benefit and blessing to others and to actually be willing to sacrifice in my pursuit of that. The Christian life is not meant to be about casual humility. You know, you've got casual racism, casual sexism, the kind of sexism, racism that happens with you, you're not even thinking about it, it just happens in the gap. Gaps because of the way you're wired. You don't even think about it, you just are. Well, as Christians, we can have often think like that in relation to humility. You know, we, we just, we just, we just humble because Jesus just oozes out of our pores. So we're just slightly nicer at work than other people. That's incidental humility. That is not what Christ is calling us to be. No, he's saying, take on my mindset. This life is not about your selfish ambition. You've probably got to plan in your head, whether it's explicit or whether it's just sort of more just intuitive you probably have a sense of where you want to go in life right and it probably involves something like earning money and saving up investments and creating a certain lifestyle and developing certain relationships and cultivating them and these are all good things but how about making your future plan all about growing in generosity growing in a radical pattern of love towards others around you Growing and pouring yourself out in every way that others might be blessed. Why isn't that a part of your long-term vision and plan for your life? That was Christ's mindset. And this is to be our mindset.
We suffer with him in that sense. It's our calling, it's our mindset, but finally, it's our glory. It's our glory. Verse 9, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. You see, the name of the game here is not that, you know, you're burnt up on the fire of other people's pleasure. That's not what Christian humility is all about. Me being squashed and ground down so that other people might benefit. And the more that I suffer and the more smashed down and diminished I am, the more somehow virtuous I am. That's not what's going on here. What's going on is that if you're just willing to lose for a little while, If you're willing to just be taken for granted for a little while, if you're willing to have not such an impressive looking life as everyone else around you because you're prioritising serving others rather than building up and creating your own little kingdom, if you're willing to do that just for a little while, it will pay dividends. Eternal life and participating in a new creation where we love without even thinking about it. Where love is as natural as the air we breathe and as easy as the air we breathe, just for a little while. Be willing to put up with the consequences of radically loving in a world that doesn't get it, just for a little while. God is no person's debtor. The reason why he's asking you and I to take on this radical form of humility that does not work in this world for a little while and put up with the consequences of that for a little while is because God has chosen in his grace to bless us with the glory and joy of participating in the glory and joy of Christ himself. Just as he was this beacon of hope and love in a crooked and depraved generation, so we get to be a bright, shining star like him. It's grace upon grace. There's no loss actually finally in doing this. It's a great investment to pour yourself out for others. And so why not make this your ambition? Replace selfish ambition with the ambition to be humble. Make it your life's project to grow in love and grace and generosity and ability to sacrifice for the sake of others. Look what Paul says in chapter 2, verse 17. But even, even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. See, he has a double meaning there. But even if I'm being poured out, he's pouring himself out to sacrifice and to suffer in order that the Philippian church would benefit from the gospel being preached to them. He is emptying himself with his energy and resources. But he's also saying, I am being poured out like a sacrifice of worship from the Old Testament, which is a glory to God and a communion to God. 
and I see my suffering as something which is glorious and wonderful and an act of worship. It's glorious now and it will result in glory for eternity. I joyfully embrace self-sacrificing humility. There's a great book called Promoting the Gospel and in it is one of my favourite stories ever of, uh, by John Dixon, sorry, that book is, Promoting the Gospel by John Dixon. And in it's a story of, of this guy, Tim Winton, who's an Australian author, and the story of his conversion. And, and uh, he says, Tim Winton, that when he was uh, five years old, um, his dad, who was a policeman and a, a big bloke, very capable man, had a, a road accident. He was on his police bike, his motorcycle, and a drunk driver hit him. He was in a coma for I don't quite know how long, but a long period of time, and he finally came out of his coma. And eventually he came home, but he was just a shadow of the man he was before, says Tim Winton as a, as a young five-year-old. He could see this. And he said that as a, as a young kid, he was just devastated by this. He just, his dad was not the same dad anymore, never to be the same. Uh, significantly incapacitated. And word got out in, in, in his neighbourhood, he lived in Perth at the time, word got out uh, that the Wintons needed help because of this accident that Tim Winton's father had. And a guy came up and knocked on their door. His name was Lynn. And he said, uh, what can I do to help? I'll do anything I can to help you. You know, what do you need help with? And so as it turned out, he would come around uh, regularly, I don't know how often, maybe weekly or something, and lift up Tim Winton's father into the bath and wash him. This man in the neighbourhood would come over and wash his father because his father couldn't get into the bath himself. He needed a wash. Tim Winton's mother couldn't do it. He just decided to help out. And Tim Winton reflects on that and says this um, extraordinary and weird act of love transformed his family. That guy, Len, that was his name, he's a Christian. And he was compelled by his Christian conviction and his Christian compassion to go and help in whatever way he could. That's not a fun thing to do, right? Would you want to do that? Go and lift up a large middle-aged man and plonk him in a bath and wash it? It's the last thing that I want to do with my free time or my spare time. But he did that just to love them and help them and they all became Christians. I mean, how could you not, right? What an amazing act of self-sacrificing love and what a great example of what Paul is talking about, right? And Paul says, well, that's Garden variety Christianity. Christianity 101. While your other mates are on the golf course enjoying their retirement or with their weekends going to the footy or, you know, getting on the beers and playing pool or whatever, this guy is over bathing a large middle-aged man. There's a sense in which he is really profoundly losing, right? He's being left behind. He's missing out. But it's garden variety, basic Christianity. And that is our ambition. 
That's the humility that we want to pursue. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Monash Christian Union Bible Talk. We long to see everyone at Monash University know a disciple-making disciple of Jesus Christ. If you have been blessed by this ministry and would love to support Monash Christian Union, you can do so via the link in the podcast description.